Hey guys, thank you for joining us for the latest episode of this unbelievable life. Today, I have one of my friends, Mike Linderman. He is the Southwest Regional Director for the State Historic Sites. I had the pleasure of meeting him when we did one of our Engaged River Valley magazine shoots at Angel Mounds, and he will be joining us today to tell us a little bit more about Angel Mounds. He has been with this organization, um, Angel Mounds in particular, for 24 years, but he shared with me he's been with the State Historic Sites for 30 years. That is three decades with an organization. So you want to talk about knowledge of our area and, and these wonderful, wonderful, I guess, treasures for our area. Um, so I wanted to pick his brain, particularly about Angel Mounds today, and he is going to be gracing us on a handful of, of podcasts. But Mike, I'm gonna let you take it away and, and tell us about this, this wonderful jewel that we have in our tri-state area. Okay, well, first of all, you made me feel very, very old uh, with that intro. So <laughs> I was 10 when I started, so it's not so bad, I guess. You were five, you were five years old <laughs> when you started. Um, yeah, Angel Mounds. Uh, we have about 600 acres here on the southwest or southeast corner of Vandenberg County. We actually straddle the line. So we're half, we're not half, but partially in Warwick. Uh, the people of Newburgh think we're an Evansville site and the people of Evansville think we're a Newburgh site, but uh, we're shared by both communities. The site uh, dates back to about the year 1050. Uh, that's when we think people first started showing up here at the property. And originally it was a ceremonial location with a few people living here to keep over or keep watch over the ceremonial mounds that were being constructed at that point. And then around 1100, 1150, something happened and it began to become a town and uh, population grew. Uh, it got to the point where we have 11 mounds now on the property. And, uh, by 1450 they had given up on this place and there's a couple of theories as to why they gave up and I'll, I'll kind of go into that here in a minute but um, at its peak there may have been about 2,000 people living here on the property the village is 100 acres uh, eventually they built a wall around the site uh, for some form of protection which will lead into another part of this as well but um, it is one of the best preserved Native American archaeological sites anywhere in the United States. Uh, and we can thank Mr. Eli Lilly for that. He saw the early interest in this. Uh, he saw the threat of Evansville expanding out this far, even though the people in Evansville said Evansville will never come this far out. Um, so in 1938, he bought the property in the name of the Indiana Historical Society. And they took possession in April of 1939. They began massive excavations here using uh, the Works Progress Administration uh, crew. They had 277 men working here from April of 1939 until May of 1942 uh, after war was declared. And all the Works Progress and the CCC groups were all disbanded and everybody got to go to war uh, instead of uh, working on projects like Angel Mounds. Um, that project was probably one of the largest archaeological projects under the WPA, the Works Progress Administration in the United States. Um, and those were all local guys. Um, when I started here, the State Museum had just spent a lot of time preparing for the exhibits that we have now. They tried to track down these WPA workers and were coming up empty handed. They had either passed away or they couldn't find them. 
sometimes they would find the kids of these workers and their children said that their fathers had been embarrassed to be part of this relief program at that point. So we thought that was the end of the story. And about six years ago, we did a little exhibit here uh, on the man side, another property we're owning over in Posey County. And this gentleman came up and said he worked here in 1940. And I said, well, you're supposed to be dead. And we looked him up on the roster and he was there. Uh, his name is Tom Bur or Bear. Oh my gosh, what is his name? Anyway, he is 104 years old now. And um, sharp as attack. I called Indiana University and I said, we've got a, we got a live one here from uh, the WPA. And they came down and we grilled him for about three hours on camera because he was, he's the only remaining link we have to that time period uh, of excavation here at the site. But Tom, he got here in the early years. Um, he saw some of the more famous artifacts come out of the ground. Uh, our most famous artifact is called the Neely Man. He is a statue made out of yellow fluorite, which is basically a crystal. Uh, there's yellow fluorite and purple fluorite. And this guy, he's about the size, oh, I'd say of a basketball. Pretty large carving for fluorite. And it probably came originally from Garden of the Gods area. That's our nearest outcropping of fluorite. And fluorite had this weird capacity where if you heated it up, it would glow in the dark once. So it was probably considered you know, a very special stone uh, for these people that lived here at Angel Mound. Mm -hmm. um, he was found in the Temple Mound when Tom and the crew were excavating it in 1939, 1940. Uh, so, you know, that, that's a very cool moment for Tom to share with us. The people that lived here, um, they were an agrarian group, they, they farmed. So if you ever come out to Angel Mound, there was the wall that went around the town. And then everything north of that and to the west and east would have been cornfields. The parking lot at the site would have been cornfields. These people ate so much corn that it actually shows up in their uh, in their bones, uh, the, the minerals from the corn. And some say they ate more corn than just about any other Native American group in the North American continent. Uh, they love their corn. And one of the excavations I witnessed from IU, they found out, a storage pot in the ground uh, where the, the original inhabitants had left it and we opened it up and there were corn cobs down inside of the, the vessel still, which was pretty cool. To see something that has survived six, 700 years without disappearing was pretty cool. So you have 2000 people here, you have 11 mounds, 10 of those mounds are status symbols. Uh, the larger the mound you lived on, the more important you were in the community. So the chief obviously lived on the largest mound the 11th mound was a temple structure uh, where priests would have lived. And it has become a, a focal point of a lot of research here lately. All of our mounds are technically pyramid with the tops cut off. They should have four sloping sides and a flat top. And the flat top is where a house was built or a temple was built. But what's interesting is all, all the mounds, their parallel sides run parallel with all the other mounds. They're all running in the exact same direction. So for years, archeologists assumed there was a reason that was going on. Glenn Black, who was our first archeologist here, he was here from 1939 until he died on the site in 1964, knew there had to be a reason the mounds were all running in the same direction. And then about four or five years ago, uh, maybe, maybe more than that, it all blurs to me now, 
a professor up in Michigan named Will, uh, Bill Romaine and a guy at IU named Ed Herman began looking at these uh, connections between the mounds. And they started looking at the stars and how they played out over the site over the years. And it finally came to the conclusion, the temple mounds, the priests would have had a structure on there that had a doorway that opened towards the chief's mound, the largest mound on the property. The morning of the summer solstice, when the sun rises, the sun forms a straight line across the chief's mound directly into that doorway that's on the temple mound. So that was cool. But then it expanded past that. The same morning of the summer solstice and that evening as well, another mound directly north of the temple mound, if you look at the horizon that morning, the Milky Way will come out of the horizon, arch over the entire site, and descend in a mound behind the temple mound. And the Milky Way was considered the, the path of the souls. And that's where all the dead would rise and join their ancestors inside the Milky Way. Um, IU told me they never, we would never be able to capture a photograph of the Milky Way anymore of the site because of all the light pollution from Evansville. So that was a challenge to me. And I contacted a friend of mine here in town who's a photographer. And we went out uh, about two or three months ago no, more than that, back in the late summer. And he did a time-lapse photography of the site and was able to capture the Milky Way uh, over the property. So we're gearing up for the summer solstice this year and hopefully the, the environment and the atmosphere will be right and we'll be able to capture the entire arc of the Milky Way over the site. And then to continue with that, the week before Christmas was the winter solstice, uh, the shortest day of the year. And Mr. Romain and Mr. Herman said that there was an alignment between one mound and there's a, the, the chief's mound has a, a bump on the side of it. We call it the conical offset. And they, they theorized if you stand on one, this particular mound and look straight at the cone, the sun would descend across the sky and then set inside or into the side of the, the conical offset. So uh, was it December 21st, we sat out there and I said, there's no way the sun's going to go from where it is currently and descend into the side of the cone. Um, but at sunset, yeah, the sun did descend into the side of the, the conical offset. So we, there were three of us out there. We were the first people in 600 years uh, to actually see that happen, knowingly see it happen. It happens every year, but nobody knew that's what was going on. So uh, we got a lot of cool stuff like that that's coming to light. The site is, uh, you know, I've been here 24 years, and um, to see these kind of things reinvigorate the property has been very cool. Uh, lat or two years ago, um, we reburied all of the skeletons that have been removed from the site uh, by Glenn Black and other archaeologists over the years. Something I never thought I would ever see happen in my lifetime here. Um, so that was that was very cool, and we have a lot of tribal involvement now. Uh, we worked with the Miami, the Potawatomi, the Shawnee, and the Quapaw. Mm -hmm. The Quapaw were all over Southern Illinois before everybody was forced by the U.S. government out into Oklahoma. So they are probably our closest descendant group uh, to the people that lived here in Angel Mounds. And so they've, they've really stepped up and uh, they've actually nom or created a, uh, this is a sacred site to the Quapaw now, officially. Uh, so that, that's pretty cool. So the alignments have really encouraged us with uh, some new programming, which we'll start this year. And some of you may have seen, we just received uh, $4 million from the governor's office 
to renovate the structure of the building and the Lilly Foundation, which, you know, if it wasn't for Eli Lilly to begin with, we wouldn't be here today. They have given us two and a half million dollars to renovate the exhibit space. And so the, for the first time, the exhibits will not be from the, the minds of archeologists. It'll uh, have tribal involvement. Uh, and so we'll have their ideas on the property. They'll still be the archeological component, uh, but this is, this is very cool um, that we'll have their religious and cultural insights into what they think their ancestors were doing here at the site. So we're pretty excited about that as well. As a, as a location, um, you also offer weddings and events there as well. So yeah. the public can can not only tour, but they can come and use your facilities and rent your facilities and include you guys as part of their big day, be it an event, yeah. a corporate or a wedding. To, to include you guys. So tell us more about that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I have seen everything from bar mitzvahs to Mexican weddings uh, here at Angel Mountains. Uh, we have this facility. Uh, unfortunately, we're going to be closed down the building wise uh, for about a year and a half for these renovations. Uh, but when it's finished, it'll be a much nicer facility uh, for rentals and things of that nature. We have, like I said, almost 600 acres to the property. So 100 acres is the village site. And then we have all this extra land that Eli Lilly bought as a buffer for when he thought Evansville would finally encroach upon us. And so it's woods and uh, we do mud runs in there. We do cross country runs in there. Uh, the Evansville Mountain Bike Association has adopted the trails and they've build, building bridges, uh, really nice uh, amenities in there for us as well. We have disc golf on the site now as well, which has been very popular. So outside of the, the cultural and the archeological zone, we have a very state park-like atmosphere also. And that's all open to the public at any time. Uh, we close the front gates at five, but there's other ways to park around the site and use those uh, facilities as well. Um, it's not your grandfather's angel mounds anymore. We've really uh, are jazzing it up a little bit. And then do you guys have events throughout the year? Yeah. Um, we do a summer camp for five weeks during the summer months, uh, which has always been very popular. It's been going on for close to 30 years now here at Angel Mound. One of our signature events in the past was Native American Days, which was always the last week of September. We've revised that a little bit and it's uh, a week of school programs only for school groups to come in. And we bring in Native American demonstrators uh, to talk about different components of Native American life, past and current uh, here. And then uh, we started to do a more of a public program again on the weekends. It's called uh, the Four Winds, but it's essentially a smaller version of Native American Days. And if everyone, anyone ever came out to Native American Days, it was a huge event. Um, my first real time with that was the year we reopened this building after the renovations in 2001. And we had 20,000 people in three days come to the site. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping we can time the reopening of the building in 2024 with a Native American Days and really uh, have a blowout for that one as well. Uh, the, to get the best current information is on our Facebook page for Angel Mound State Historic Site. Uh, the State Museum's website, www.indianamuseum.org slash Angel Mounds. Uh, we'll get you like information on our summer camps and registrations for that. But you also have a link on our Facebook page as well, for all that.
Okay. Well, I can't thank you enough. I <laughs> did not. I mean, I knew I, I knew about Angel Mounds. I, I felt like I had a pretty good baseline knowledge, but honestly, I can say that you've blown me away with <laughs> the size of it. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, and and just the cultural significance. Yes, you know it's in our backyard, but yeah, but to put it to put it into perspective is is gave me chills. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Um, so so as a community, we should be extremely grateful for what we have in our own guys backyard. And it sounds true. like you guys have tremendous things coming down the pipeline, and we can't yeah. wait to see. And yeah. I can't wait to get you on future podcasts to talk about the other state historic sites sure. to run tell us about. So thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your unbelievable life. And if we have any questions, we know where to find you. Thank you so much for joining All us right, today. All right. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye.